0: Hello and welcome, independent researchers, skeptics, and all of humankind, Shadow Citizen. Welcome to Shadow Citizen, episode 16, with returning guests, Catherine Austin Fitz. Uh, You can listen to us live and chat along on mixlr.com slash forward citizen. We're also simulcast on radioconfluence.com and you can also listen to us right on our homepage shadowcitizen.online. And we have a fan page there. We have some merchandise, so please check it out. My name is Rob Osell and my co-host is
1: Rachel L. McIntosh and today is going to be An excellent interview and an excellent thing, but I want to really focus on something first. Can we say something first, Rob?
0: Yeah, let's talk about it. We got a big announcement. Yep, let's do it.
1: Uh, Well, our big announcement, we have to tell everybody, we got, after just four months of doing this little shadow citizen interview thing, that we got picked up by a bigger network. We're moving to a bigger network. We're going big time. We're going over to, go
0: ahead. Yeah, we're going over to Danny Romero's site. He uh, listened to some of our stuff, and Jack Blood recommended us. And so we're moving over to American Freedom Radio. And so our new show will be, we'll still have it on Wednesdays. It'll be a a two-hour show, and we're going to start at 6 o'clock Eastern.
1: Mm -hmm, mm Mm-hmm. So we should have a lot more. We have a bigger platform now to talk to all these people and to share this information. And I'm so excited. I'm just, I'm thrilled. I'm literally thrilled. And on top of it, I have my favorite, favorite guest with us today, Catherine Austin Fitz. And we are so happy to have her. She's the former Assistant Secretary of the U.S. Department of Housing and Urban Development otherwise known as HUD. While there, she exposed the government's fraudulent accounting practices. Catherine is an experienced investment strategist and a critical analyst of the global financial system. She's a former Wall Street banker for Dylan Reed and Company and founder of Hamilton Securities Investment Bank. She's currently founder of the Solari Incorporated and Solari Investment Advisory Services. Catherine austin Fitz has tracked billions and billions of dollars missing, government money that was missing, and led in an alternative investment strategy designed to increase financial wealth while contributing to a more just and sustainable world. And I'm thrilled to have her back with us, Catherine Austin Fitz. Thank you for joining us.
2: Oh, it's great to be on. It's great to be back. Yay! I was so happy after- Congratulations about oh. your new uh movie to American Freedom Network. That's fabulous. It is. It's really exciting. Yeah. We, we worked out the new we have a little bit new
1: music for the opening and a little new music for the ending. And it's just gonna it's gonna be a little bit newer, it's gonna be a little cooler. And I just I can't wait till yes. we get there. It's gonna be awesome.
2: Now yeah. I fake wanna talk to you. Down. What's that? Okay. Okay, I wanna I was talk gonna to say you. Fake, fake news down, Shadow Citizen up.
1: That's right. That's right. That's, we're going to make a bumper sticker with that, I think. <laughs> now, well, I, I was lucky enough to participate in a webinar that you gave last time you came and spoke with us. It was, I don't know, what was that, two months ago or something? Um, and it, uh-huh. it was fantastic. I took tons of notes, and I wanted our viewers, our listeners, to hear what you had to say. And this is really important because it has to do with local action. What you could do as a normal person in your own little world, to kind of help yourself financially and change your own, you call it a financial ecosphere, to help. Right. I just want people to understand what that even is and how they can affect that. And this webinar that you gave was so good. And
2: I wanted people to know about this. So uh, the webinar was called Unpacking Your Financial Ecosystem. And the idea was to help people understand how the money worked around them, particularly the federal government money. Because as we go through the changes that we're going through in our economy, there's tremendous opportunity to re-engineer our our local economies in a way that create more employment and add to a higher quality of life for all of us. And, um, you know, but step one is to first... Take the time to understand how your local financial ecosystem is, uh, how it works long enough to to find and start to implement the opportunities.
1: Mm-hmm. Now, for someone like me, I'd say, okay, that sounds really interesting, but I don't even know where to start.
2: <laughs> well, I think it's very important to start where you're interested. So okay. I always encourage people you know, some people are interested in food. Some people are interested in local churches. Some people are interested in civic activities. So, so step one for me is to identify, you know, what is the area of most interest to you? What is the area where you know people and where can you start to get engaged? Um, so, so step one is to understand, you know, where in the local economy would I like to add value? Um, step two is to then identify the leadership in those areas step three is to start to understand how the financial ecosystem works in that area and then work out into your entire county financial ecosystem Mm -hmm. so as as a nuts and bolts matter i like to start people with the you know, in the area that they're most interested in, um, because if there's opportunity in the area they're most interested in, that's where they're going to feel most engaged. Right, and I'll feel most at home for sure. Okay, right. so let's say somebody's interested
1: in—I don't know what. what let's about, try.
2: Let's try food because yeah, foods. Go ahead. Food is something that everybody, everybody needs. needs. Food. <laughs> yeah. Everybody needs food. Everybody eats food. And so um, and what you what you tend to find in a lot of local economies, the people who are actively doing things and are engaged are the foodies. Either they're gardening or they are um, participating with local farmers or they're doing farmers markets. You know, it. it it changes county to county because america just breaks down into 3100 counties mm-hmm. but usually you you have some version of the local food system and what i like to do is identify the farmers and the restaurants that are both growing food locally and selling food locally if you're a far- if there's a farmers market you're really lucky and so the first thing i would study as a foodie is how the money works on food how much are we spending on food and and how much of that is the local farmer getting, um, including how much are the local governmental institutions, you know like schools and uh, prisons and different different things run by government? where are they putting their food dollars and is it going to the local farmers and how is that creating jobs locally? So for example, one of the things you'll see, Rachel, is in many areas, People are too busy to, you know, they don't want to interact with the local farmers, go to the farmer's market. But, but they will always eat at the local restaurants that advertise that they buy food from the local farmers. Wow. So, Thanks. yeah, uh, it's it's very interesting. But the other thing you'll see is in many areas of the country, a tremendous amount of the food purchases come from food stamps. And there are real opportunities if you can get those food stamps eligible to be spent at the farmer's market or in other activities that support the local, you know, to, to, it goes to the grocery stores where the local uh, farmers can market into. So every area's is, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Food yeah, no. over at the farmer's market. Okay, good.
0: And and that's yeah, something so. that we, that's uh, happened here local just last year. I, I go to the farmer's market. We have a real nice one, uh, and uh, yeah, last year they set up where they take the food stamps and, and convert it they also uh, into you know uh, whatever farmers market dollars or whatever so uh, uh-huh. you know they take the EBT card and they process it at one place and then the you know the individual farmers can take these these certificates and then turn them back in for for the cash. I'm not sure exactly how it works but uh, but it, uh, yeah I was very encouraged well, to you've seen it. See that happening. Yeah. yeah, they just implemented that last summer. So it's a, like you say, that's a good thing. You know, rather than, uh, weren't didn't you tell us during your last visit the amount of, that what people spent on uh, soda pop, you know, as compared to, uh, you know, fresh produce? And it was just some ridiculous yeah, number. Yeah, it's significantly,
2: yeah, significantly multiples of, of fresh produce. And that's why another thing is the more we can... Encourage. Um, there's a wonderful movie. I don't know if you've seen it called Fat, Sick, and Nearly Dead about a wonderful Australian who traveled across America juicing and teaching, teaching people how to juice and sort of engaging with them about conversations about diet and nutrition. Because if you look at our healthcare expenditures, we as a nation spend 50 uh, percent more than the next. Switzerland spends the most per, or they're the number two in terms of per capital expenditures. The United States is number one. We spend 50% more than Switzerland, and of course we're nowhere near as healthy as the Swiss. One of the number one things to be done is if we started buying and eating a lot more fresh food, particularly locally, um, not only could we uh, lower our food bill, but we could uh, you know, lower our health care bill. So um, it's interesting. I had a wonderful... One of the top butchers in the world, who's Swiss, uh, now lives in America, on the Solerio Report, we're doing a food series. And he said that Europeans spend double for food what Americans do, but they spend half for health care. (laughs) Yeah. He says you can spend it on the front end or the back end. But there's no no doubt that that getting sourcing a lot more food, fresh food locally, whether it's from gardens or the local farmers, is going to... um, significantly uh, improve health and quality of life. So that is a very important thing to do. One of the things we've seen, we've made a really big effort here in Tennessee to try and get, we have a sales tax on precious metals. And one of the reasons we're trying to get that lifted is so that precious metals could be used um, to circulate as coin locally, including for food. The other thing we're trying to do, and I shouldn't say we because it's really uh, uh some of my some of my neighbors and allies doing it, not me um are trying to get the food safety rules changed. A lot of what has consolidated the farming business into the uh into the big companies is food safety rules that has literally put thousands of businesses uh small farms out of business and made it very difficult to um to process, uh, uh, for example, chickens, and to sell them locally. And so there's been a r- real effort to get the food safety rules re-engineered so that small farmers can, can do more and sell into the local markets. There's a wonderful small farmer named Joel Salatin who's got a great book, and it, it's called Everything I Want to Do is Illegal.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. no, it's, it's- true the whole the we have this big you obviously must have heard about this too about milk people that have cows and they want to sell their milk well it's illegal where i live in rhode island you can't just sell cows milk and it was funny i was down in florida recently and the guy behind the desk he was from poland and he said you can't sell milk from a cow i was like no he goes why i said because the state doesn't allow it he goes why i said I don't know. They, they, they're they just mean people. And he was laughing. He's like, this is crazy. I was like, yeah, welcome to
2: America. <laughs> no, it's so you can consolidate
0: the yes, whole industry exactly. into, it's
2: true industry into of the course. big companies. Yeah. So, yeah, cause we had a wonderful uh, uh, dairy farm here. There's a dairy farm right next to me that basically got put out of business. But we had a wonderful raw milk farm here in the state mm-hmm. put it out of business. So um, change the food safety rules and you can find that you'll do a lot more. Uh, There's a wonderful TED Talk by a woman who literally, after 9-11, she and the local mothers got together and and were feeling really punk. And they said, well, we want to do something. What should we do? And they decided they would turn all the local uh, open and municipal spaces into basically food-growing gardens. And so they started to literally turn everything into an orchard or a garden. And their goal now is to have the whole town uh, fruit and vegetable self-sufficient and the deal was if you're going home and you see that something's ready to be picked just go you know pick it just take it so, nice. <laughs> nice it's
1: but, like walking into the garden know, of eden over,
2: wow right but over many years that can make a difference so um uh i think whether it's 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 relieving the expenses and the regulatory compliance on your small farms or or, you know, building up the market and making your currency accessible. One of the things every lo- local area needs is a is a local currency or different kinds of local currencies. And of course politically that's been near impossible to do. It's uh-huh. one of the say, reasons. Yeah,
1: talk about this one for sure. Because
2: I, I find this is yeah. like impossible almost. Well, you know, this comes to the the financial system is being used as a control system not as a financial system.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And that, that's why this tricky game of complex rules, you know, the to centralize the economy, we've been trying to run the economy, um, uh, you know, just with a very complex thicket of rules. I'll give you a perfect example. Um, I was sitting once with a group of women talking locally, and I got everybody to start talking about their money and how it worked. One woman uh, was sending her... Uh, had all of her retirement funds in in local CDs uh, at a bank that had Citibank as a correspondent, and so all of her money was going into Citibank, and she was getting a a low percent and uh, yield on her her bank CDs, and then another had an IRA, uh, and and a, she owned, in fact, Citibank stock, and was estimating she was getting a certain amount on her um, on her. Uh, on her stock, and then the third woman had a Citibank credit card and was paying 25% to finance her business. So you had these two women uh, getting about three to five percent on their money. Although the one with the IRA almost lost everything on the bailouts. <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I know and
2: meantime, like a very close friend of theirs was borrowing that money back and paying 25%. So. You know, so Citibank was in the middle making 20%. And, and you thought, well, wait a minute. Why don't you guys just talk to each other and team up with a local bank and find a way to do this locally and everybody can make money and stop, you know, and just circulate all of this locally, particularly if you have a local bank to help. So, you know, there are many ways to do that, but it's insane to allow the vast majority of your savings to just roll out and not get anything for it when in a market economy you could do the same thing for significantly less cost and do it locally. So, mm-hmm. but that's because those conversations aren't happening and we, we're ending up with very complex regulatory systems. Um, I always love to talk about equity because uh, i you know, I'm kind of a stock market person. I love the stock market. But um, if, if in my county... If I want to spend my entire life savings on lottery tickets, I can do it no problem. I can just go down to the store and and spend a lifetime of savings on lottery tickets. If I want to get hard narcotics, I assure you it's not that far a drive for me to figure out how to spend my life savings on drugs, although technically that's illegal, but if you look at the business going on, it seems to be pretty significant across the country. If I buy stock in my, you know, a local business and try and do an equity deal with a local business, we can both go to jail. Yeah. So now there there's a complex thicket of rules and regulations around that, and if I'm smart and can spend the time and money, I can figure out how to do it. But it's very cumbersome and very expensive. And so basically, what we've done is we've made sure, just as we've made sure the local farmer is not competitive with the big business. Um, and the local food buyer wants to go into the big box store to get their food, you know, we've made it almost impossible for me to finance the local dairy farm. So uh, that's something, that's a huge opportunity me because I assure you, if I have a publicly traded venture vehicle for a lot of the small businesses in my area, I'm going to spend a lot more locally because it will make my stock go up. Not only that... I'm going to make sure my neighborhood is healthy and safe because that's going to drive my stock up. So this idea that the you know what's good for the stock market is bad for the environment, environment it doesn't have to be that way. If we have place based equity vehicles, the more uh, you know, the more wonderful and environmentally healthy I make my neighborhood, the more my stock goes up. Yeah, I have a so question. We can create a financial system. Yeah,
1: go ahead. Yeah, my, my question is. For like the normal person, they just heard what you said. They said, you know what, this thing about Citibank and the credit card, you know, how do people, how do people recognize which are the good banks or the good places to go deal with money? How do they find that out?
2: Well, actually, all you, all you need to know, uh, it's pretty simple. There's a great piece up on Solari called How to Find a Good Local Bank. Okay. And it walks you through the steps of how to find a good local bank. So let's say I know nothing about banking or finance. And I let's say I've just moved into a new county and I know nothing about finance. I don't need to know anything to know about finance to find out who's the good local bank. Because there are all sorts of people in any community. They're what I call the top 10%. You know, they're the 10% that kind of make everything work. And they're competent. They're ethical. All you need to figure out is... Who are those top 10% and figure out where they bank? You know, I'm always laughing because in my community, one of my cousin Bob is one of the guys that everybody looks to. So, you know, I don't need to know if it's right or really works. I just need to know that Bob's checked it out and he says it works. It's got Bob Steel. Okay. So right, exactly. <laughs> right. and, you know, so if Bob says it's okay, it's okay. And if you know, if Bob says he'll fix it, I'll buy it. And if he says he won't fix it, I'm not buying it. You
1: know, that's how it works. Okay. So, yeah, so we gotta so, so know our local community.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So so here's here's one of the things I always tell people if you want to do more in your community, here's Catherine's plan for making America great, one county at a time. Find the person in that 10%, um, you know, whether they run a great local grocery store or that like, you know, I adore my local mayor. I have a fabulous local mayor and I have a fabulous local sheriff. It's one of the reasons I live here. And, you know, find that person who is within the 10%, who you really like and admire and you enjoy knowing and say, what can I do to help? Just ask them what you can do to give them energy. You know, let's say you don't have a lot of time. You're busy, but you've got three to five hours a week to help. So say to them, what can I do to help? What can I do to help? And all you need to do is follow them around and help them. And, and things can build out from there. Um, Because right now we're in a situation where everybody's on pins and needles and there's been tremendous effort to divide and conquer people. Um, And so, And, and the other thing is we're all very busy. We have limited time. So, and you want to make sure that your time is well used and not wasted. And that's why you want to look around and see, okay, who's the guy who knows this community, who's getting something done, who's positive. Let me just see how I can help him or her. And um, you know, it could be if your interests are spiritual, it could be somebody who leads a local church or temple if your interests are civic, it could be somebody who runs the local food bank or a civic organization. If you're interested in politics, it could be the local, somebody in the local municipality. Let's say you're an engineer. There a lot of the most interesting municipal innovation is coming, you know, through the engineering and operations. You know, figure out, go to the economic development department and and you know, figure out who that person is or help them. Or if it's in the local business, go to the Rotary or the chamber and figure out, okay, what can I do to help? So, for example, I live in a community that uh, put together and has developed a local um, art center and, you know, puts on their own plays, puts on their own theater, um, does all sorts of art shows. And it's quite wonderful. You know, so that's a very successful operation, you know one thing people do is they try out and contribute and, you know, they're in the local hee haw show. (laughs) So, (laughs) so, so the way to get started is, is to, is to figure out who's the person you most enjoy in that top 10% and, and help them, you know, so find, find your version of my cousin Bob and say, okay, Bob, what can I do to help? So that's number one. Number, Number two um, if you're interested, start, to, for, first of all, you know, do everything you can to bank local, shop local, and and migrate your, um, you know, your support, your flow of resources into the local economy. Um, if you're so inclined, get together. If there are people that you enjoy doing this with, get together with a group of local friends. Have a pop luck dinner, you know, once a month and have little discussions of what can we do to help ourselves economically. So one of the things, whenever people live near a great terminal market, I always say, hey, why don't you get together, form an action club and start going down to the terminal, taking turns going down to the terminal market and, you know, buying great organic food at wholesale, you can get much, much better prices. So there are lots of things you can do if you team up and and do it together, but it's got to be practical and it's got to sort of save you time or save you money or, or simply make you feel safer in an environment where there's a tremendous amount of change. Um, The last thing to do, and I really encourage everybody to do is to start to learn how the money around you locally works. So we did that webinar on uh, unpacking your financial ecosystem and, the the thing to understand if you're not financially inclined or you haven't studied how the money works locally what you need, need to understand is if you just set aside a little bit of time and you keep learning and learning and learning about your local the finances in your local area you know it will take a while before you start to see opportunity or things kick in but it's just like the reporter said follow the money if you follow the money you would be amazed at the opportunities you will see over time um, you know, some of which are feasible to take advantage of. so uh, but but I, I always tell the story about how I used to find neighborhoods where HUD was spending two hundred and fifty thousand dollars per unit to rehab uh, or to build, construct public housing, and fifty thousand dollars would buy and rehab a single family foreclosed property in that neighborhood. There's all kinds of shenanigans going on, you know, usually. In the HUD budget. And so it's amazing if you just start paying attention, how much money you can find.
1: Now, here's my question, because I've been involved with some of these HUD grants. Is it okay to keep going to them to do these things?
2: I mean, even though we know what... You know something? I I avoid all government money. Okay, good. Um, Okay my wonderful ally Franklin Sanders says all, uh, all money, all government money comes with a smack in the face. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) And what happens when you get, yeah. what, What happens when you get involved in government money is you find yourself learning and spending time in a direction that's not productive. And so ultimately you know, you you want to do anything you can to learn in the direction of something that will support you in a market economy. Otherwise, you end up terribly, terribly stupid, and you open <laughs> yourself up. To, well, no, no, it's true. No, no, but it's it, true. It's true. Right. So uh, I'll give you a perfect example. When I um uh when I was had the, my Washington investment bank, I was working as a lead financial advisor, including for HUD, and um when When I, I, as a result, I ended up in sort of an enemy of the state situation, where I was litigating with the federal government uh, because there was, you know, the corruption was just just had had gone out of control. Anyway, and so what happened was I to to help warn people about the housing bubble, I started to do radio shows, and I started to get. I had a terrible experience in the Bush administration with the New York Times, and then a terrible uh, experience. I was litigating with the Washington Post and when it happened, I said, that's it. I've had it with fake news. I'm never talking to these guys again from now on. I'm just going to talk to people. You know, they're, you know, they're part of the corruption. I want nothing to do with it. So I started to just, as I did radio shows, people would email me questions and I would answer the questions and I kept trying to answer the questions and it just got bigger and bigger. And so I started an email listserv, and I just kept answering questions and questions. And finally, I needed server. I needed support. I needed help. So we started to charge subscriptions. And the next thing you know, I've got a business. So so we have the Solary report. We have subscribers all over the world, and we're still answering questions. And um, But it grew into a business because I decided, you know, something I want nothing to do with government. I want nothing to do with government money. I want to help individual people. I want to do something that adds value to them and it ultimately I just started adding value mm-hmm. and it went on for years without me making any money but finally it just evolved into something that could turn into a business and now it's a profitable business, you know now it generates a profit so it took many years but it started with the premise I have to add value to other people and yeah. um, and I have to find a way to be useful to people I have to be of service to people And it's really that virtuous cycle that makes a society intelligent and helps it grow. And that's the virtual cycle we have to get back to. And that's why intervention by the government and the economy, to the extent it has, helps centralize it. But it's basically destroying the learning metabolism. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah,
2: I could see that for sure.
1: I have now this is a very basic question. Once again, I'm bringing it back down to this basic question. I know that here in Rhode Island, we've got credit unions and we've got banks and lots of people will tell you go over to the credit union or go over to this bank do you have a preference for that sort of
2: stuff to the credit actually my my preference is which institution has the best governance Mm -hmm. and the best quality of services and what i find um in certain places it may be the credit union and other places it may be the bank so you're really looking for the highest quality of governance and management and it could be either the bank or the credit union and so I think I think what you've got you know if I have a slight preference it's for the community banks because a lot of family wealth gets created by the private equity and community banks mm-hmm. so i bank at a community bank in fact that's owned by my cousins and has been for several generations bob,
1: but the thing is does bob go to that community bank
2: <laughs> well actually that community bank that community bank is in pennsylvania so bob doesn't bank there because oh, we're okay. in tennessee
0: can i can i break and, in here
2: well here's what was interesting Pardon me?
0: You probably don't remember this. You were on the Power Hour, and I called in there, and I I, I spoke about uh, the Minneapolis Federal Reserve president came to uh, my city and uh, spoke at the college, but it was kind of during uh, a lull in the the frac sand mining uh, industry. It had kind of crashed. But he went out and he had uh, dinner with the two community banks that have been here, you know, over a hundred years old, and I, you know, I asked the university president. I said, "Well, did he go to you know, did he talk to people from Wells Fargo?" And he goes, "No, those people have all the access they they need." He wanted to come down here and get his ear to the ground and find out what the local banks were doing. So that right. president is the gone, local and banks, that president sorry, is local gone, <laughs> and now we have Neil <laughs> Cash Carey. So I thought that was uh...
2: Yeah, Sorry about that. <laughs> sorry about that, but. Um, well, it's very interesting. You'll hear stories of during the whole bailout process and and different regulatory events since then. The local banks are just uh, ready to tear their hair out because the great deal of effort has been done through the banking regulation to force the local banks to basically buy treasury securities as opposed to lend locally. So there's been a great effort through the through the banking regulation to basically shut off credit to local businesses. And um, it's, it's one of the things that hurts uh, a local community. Now, one of the things, I live in Tennessee, and one of the things you'll see is you still see a lot of small business activity in sort of the small economy and the local economy, and that's because we still have a tremendous number relative to other places in the country of local banks. Believe me, you, you want to have excellent local banks and ex- excellent local credit unions. Very, very important to the health of a local economy. And if we're going to build uh, local equity markets, you want to do that out of the local banks and very much in connection with the local banks because they're the ones that have the deep knowledge of sort of the economics and the financial flows within the community. A lot of times that's where you're best you – know, talk about the top 10%. You got a bunch of really fine people, you know, in, in those local banks and credit unions. And that's a that's sort of intellectual capital you want to draw on. Now one of the things I wanted to say is the to me, the biggest drain on local economies is the loss of our young people. So the biggest investment you'll see in a local economy is people raise and educate their young people, and then the young people take off for wall street or washington or big corporations they don't stay on main street and one of the reasons i'm so keen on building equity flow within communities is you want to attract the young people you want to finance them you know we want to shark tank our young people on on main street um if if we're going to integrate all the new dazzling technology it's going to be the young people who are going to help to do that and so um, one of the things you want to do is you want to get your local bankers and the local educational leaders both high school and tech centers, community college and universities in a room and say, OK, how can we start to create apprentice programs that make it possible to, to help the young people circulate, learn the local economy and businesses and make it possible for them to buy out the boomers out of their businesses or start new businesses, you know whatever makes sense by each person. It's very granular. Um, but anything the local business leadership can do to make it financially attractive for the community and young people to finance them to build the local economy, that is fantastic.
0: I went out to uh I, I was you know, I was working this morning and I stopped in to grab uh, something to eat and uh it was at a you know quick uh quick store and there was like a young woman in there, you know, twenty five years old, uh seemed uh, you know, clear, level headed and everything. Uh I put a $5 bill on the countertop, and she said, your total is $2.10. And I reached in, and I pulled out a quarter. I said, I got enough change. Here's a quarter. And she s- stood there, and she started making change for, off of what the cash register told her. And I just said, no, you just have to give me $3.10 back. And... uh here it was two fifteen, not, uh, and you know I just thought. Uh-huh. And she says oh, I'm not good at math in the morning. Is what she told me, and I just thought, oh no, this is a new math person. You know, but otherwise very friendly, well, very perky, very uh, seemed very bright. But for some reason, the math had. Uh, she's probably used to just using a calculator all the time.
2: Well, here's the thing: the the if there's one thing you want to do for your kids or. Grandkids or young people to help them be financially successful in life, it's helped them be great at math. So um, that's why anything you can do, particularly in the grade school and the high schools, to make sure you have excellent math, it was one of the reasons I was so I just despise Common Core, <laughs> oh my and because because you if you 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 must have math skills without a calculator. Um, if you're going to understand how the money works in your life, it's going to be the less you understand about math, the easier you are to manipulate and harvest. Exactly. Yeah,
0: it's true. It's actually true. Yeah, I yeah. think that's very true. And that's that's something that always troubled me when I, you know, when that happens. I mean, it's not it's not a rare occasion that that happens. I'm sure other people have experienced similar things like that where. Yeah. uh Right. The other thing, the
2: other thing that's very important to making sure you're not tricked or harvest is to understand the history and the natural resources in your place. You'd be amazed how many times I drive around the country a lot and I can literally stop in a diner that's right on Interstate 64 and ask the waiter or waitress where Route 64 is and they won't know. So. Yes.
1: Yeah, I've
2: had that happen too. People are like, I don't I don't know what you're talking about. Right. So so you're losing sort of an understanding of the geography and the mapping of a place. It's one of the reasons I don't use GIS software. Um, you know, I always have those big trucker maps with me and I'm always mapping out the place wherever I go. Now I may use GIS on top of it, but but I really try and make an effort to understand what's going on in the geography and the economy of the places that I'm driving through. And um, and what's frightening is that that you can tell the young people have not been educated. There's a wonderful group in Vermont that has something called Quests, Community Quests, and it's a tr- treasure hunt um, organized around the history and the natural resources in your place. Um, so if, if you can help the kids really learn Math, just excellent basic math skills, and learn the natural resources and the history of their place, Uh, they become much more immune to being harvested or tricked.
0: It's pretty interesting. One of the, the things that I like about my local community is uh, every year at Halloween, they uh, the Historical Society dresses people up in period costumes, and they give a tour of the local cemetery and talk about, you know, the founders. And, oh, wonderful. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's pretty cool. It's wonderful. a cool idea. Yeah,
2: Yeah, that's really wonderful. Well, you know, one of the things that's going to happen, the president's new budget is coming out in May. So we'll see what is proposed um but what is happening is that uh and one of my favorite quotes of 2016 was the german finance minister staying at the g20 meeting in um china he said the debt growth model is over there are no uh there are no reforms that aren't real reform there are no changes that aren't real reforms and what he was saying is we can't just throw you know, we can't just print p- paper and throw it at problems. Now we're going to have to change. And unfortunately, what's happened in America is for 50 years we've just pr- printed more and more debt and basically paid everyone to not cause trouble. And so you know, we've built up enormous uh, inefficiency. So if you look at the healthcare care problem, people are angry at Congress for not being able to solve the problem, but Congress's inability to solve the problem to a certain extent reflects uh, a series of realities. So number one reality, the pharmaceutical companies are not subject to market forces. If they were, prices would be very different. Number two, the American people need health care. They don't need health care insurance. Um, and so by, by adding in a layer of financialization through the insurance companies, we've add, added cost to it that it's completely unnecessary. Um, yes. Third, we've litigated, we've litigated and regulated the doctors into a state of, you know, in, into a nightmare state, which has dramatically increased their expenses and, you know, I think detracted from their ability to spend time or help with healthcare. care. Four, uh, we've organized a lot of it so we can digitize everything so Silicon Valley can re-engineer it. Um, I remember when I was out in Silicon Valley I used to have a company out there and um one one developer was talking about how they could re engineer over a trillion dollars of labor out of healthcare once they got everything digitized. So um, you know, so that means Silicon Valley makes the money and a trillion dollars of employment income goes away in, in the heartland. And then finally five, if you look at how people are living and what they're eating, you know, if we spend five times more in carbonated drinks than we spend on fresh fruit, fruits and vegetables, there are, you know, there are no solutions. So, so the general population has to change their behavior, uh, including dramatically. But that means the whole agricultural industry has to change because whether it's fluoride in the water or GMOs, it's it's the poor quality of nutrition, you know, that's harming us. So, if you if you go throughout the you know throughout the entire ecosystem of healthcare what you're t- talking about is the the uneconomic you know the or the frightening economics of the healthcare system is not a problem it's a s- symptom of running a highly industrialized centralized system that doesn't make economic sense yeah. if you're going to change the system you got to change the fundamental basic economics, and all these different economics have been held up and pumped up by government debt, if that government debt is going away, then guess what? All these different systems
0: are going to have to change. I, I think Jim Mars, I think it was, that somebody asked him if he thought there would ever be a cure for cancer, and he replied, well, as long as there are more people making a living off of treating cancer than there are people dying from cancer, the, the cure is probably not in sight and uh i mean i well there
2: are many cures for cancer there there are tons of cures for cancer they've all been suppressed or stopped
0: yeah absolutely so and
2: and the other thing we know is that if you want to heal disease all you have to do is strengthen the immune system and detox Um, if you drive around america that to me the number one cause of most disease is skyrocketing toxicity Mm-hmm. and that toxicity is skyrocketing for a number of reasons but one of it is global spraying we're spraying heavy metals over everybody's head of course they're getting alzheimers of course they're getting more toxic of course they're getting cancer i mean if you have, if you look have, at just what we know
1: we have pediatric we have pediatric crohn's disease we have pediatric ms these are things that never happened before
2: i agree right. with you. so I if i if for for more than a decade, I spray heavy metals over people's heads and put heavy metals in all sorts of different products that they use or consume, you know, it's a no-brainer that these things are going to happen. If I put metals in vaccines, it's a no-brainer that people are going to get mercury poisoning or autism. Mm-hmm. So I, I think we know a lot of what are causing the problems now an extraordinary amount of fake news is financed to insist that those things aren't causing the problem. But if you just look at the cancer cures that have been suppressed or the cancer, the doctors who are relatively successful at curing cancer with natural methods, i.e. highly economic methods, you know, uh, basically we have an economy run to create and protect monopolies as opposed to to let markets work
1: yes and i i've got to relay a story it just happened to me what last weekend or the weekend before as a lot of our listeners now or maybe not know i have ms and i um had a relapse and when i had this relapse i went to my naturopath home homeopath she gave me my mm-hmm. remedy within three hours I was able to walk around I was dancing in the kitchen I was like calling my mom mom look at me I could do and every single time this homeopathic stuff works it blows my mind because technically Ryan. it's not supposed to but it does right and right of course that my regular neurologist was on the other line he's calling he's like no you got to go in and you got to go get the infusion and my mother you know, she's a nurse, she's been a nurse forever. And she's, she witnessed me doing this walking. And then she's listening to this neurologist. And I called back the uh, homeopath naturopath. And she said, um, she goes, you can go do the infusion, but we've got to really watch you from now on. She goes, that's going to be your last infusion, because now we know what your remedy is. And I just want to right. let people know if you clean up your body, like you said, it's all detox, you literally have to get right. all of that fake food out of your body you have to get totally cleaned up it takes a long time you have to change the way you live how you eat but then the natural type of remedies can start taking effect and it's different for everybody it's not like the remedy that worked for me is going to work for the next person that has ms but you're going to find somebody's going to help you and it's going to be a individual journey into your own (laughs) into your own being it's very interesting right right
2: It's here's the, there's good news and there's bad news. The bad news is that you have to spend a lot of time and learn how to be your own doctor and your own nurse. Not to say that you won't use great doctors and nurses, right? But you have to take responsibility to be your own doctor and nurse. That's the bad news. And it takes time. One of the things, remember when I said, get together and do a circle, do an action club together. I used to call them Solarious circles, get together with a group of friends and start watching documentaries together. Have a potluck dinner. Watch. Watch documentaries. Talk about it. There's wonderful. Um, in our annual wrap up, we did an annual wrap up on the global harvest and what it means to investors. But we put a list of all my favorite movies on food and um, uh, on food and and sort of diet. Now they're great movies on health and taking care of your health. Um, you know, so there's truth in cancer. Truth in vaccines. There's all sorts of things being developed. So, so I would use documentaries and if you like to read books and, and as you said, you've got to figure out what works for you and everybody is different. Everybody's unique. So it's a matter of trial and error. The good news is if you do it, you will have great health and economic health care, you know, in your home and in your kitchen that you control for the rest of your life. And you will have a much healthier and probably longer life. So the bad news is you got to do it yourself, Um, and and there are lots of people who can help you, and there are lots of great tools that can help you. Um, And if you do, you will be much happier and much healthier. The reason I discovered all this was during the litigation with the federal government, things got very dangerous, Um, and I was dealing with physical harassment and got poisoned. But I couldn't go to... For political reasons, I I couldn't go to a doctor. I couldn't go to the healthcare system.
1: Wait a second. Uh, You got poisoned, Catherine? Somebody actually poisoned
2: you? Oh, yeah. Multiple occasions I was poisoned. Holy Toledo. Well, it turned into a real food fight. What happened was evidence was falsified. Mm -hmm. and, And the effort to frame us failed. And so then I wanted to go into court. But obviously they didn't have any evidence of any wrongdoing. And so clearly didn't want to go to court. So it got very you know, messy, and I was very insistent, so that's when they started, when I started to uh, just coincidentally get poisoned. Anyway, so, but the poisoning taught me a lot about detox.
1: Wow, go ahead, keep talking, I can't believe
2: this, So 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 the the poisoning is how I learned about detox and the power of detox, because um, when I started to detox, I I was really, um, you know, if you look at where my health was versus what happened when I detoxed, yeah. That's when I discovered. Oh, you know, this can be reversed, and we have the technology to do it. It's time-consuming, but anybody can learn how to do it and uh, do it. We have a great um, Solar report on how to detox. So, you know, and again, it's trial and error. You do it yourself. But what happened was, I discovered I literally couldn't go to the healthcare system. I couldn't go to hospitals. And I had to figure out how to take care of it myself. And that's when I literally tried, Rachel, every old-timey recipe that exists. I tried them all. And I discovered the ones that work for me. And one of the things I discovered is, you know, there is a way at very low cost in your own home to provide 95% of your own health care. And, you know, I'm not going to go into it today. But let me tell you, I don't, don't even contemplate going to a doctor unless iodine and castor oil packs have failed Mm -hmm. (laughs) and they almost never fail (laughs) they almost never fail um okay so so let me talk about the red button problem because that is the heart of all the different issues we're we're discussing
1: it really Um, is
2: it really is. At the summer of 2000, I was giving a speech, a wonderful group of people called Spiritual Frontiers Foundation International. And this is a group of people that have a conference once a year about how to evolve our society spiritually. And so I said to this wonderful group of spiritually evolved people, uh, we were talking about um, the congressional testimony regarding um, the drug dealing by the alleged drug dealing by the U.S. intelligence agencies into South Central L.A. and um, I'd been asked to speak about how the money works in organized crime to explain the sort of corruption that was happening in Wall Street and Washington. So at the time of the congressional testimony, a reporter I worked with had been told by a Department of Justice spokesperson that the U.S. economy was laundering 500 billion to a trillion dollars a year of all illegal money. We're the global leader in money laundering. So I said to this wonderful group of 100 spiritually evolved people, what would happen if we stopped being the global leader in money laundering? And they said, well, you know, we'd have trouble financing the government deficit because we need to buy, you know, sell bonds and we'd have, you know, the U.S. stock market would go down because that money would go to London or Hong Kong or Zurich. So I said, okay, well, let's pretend there's a big red button up on this lectern. If you push that button, you can stop all our narcotics trafficking in your county, your your state, your country tomorrow, thus offending the people who control 500 billion to a trillion dollars a year of all dirty money. Who here will push the button? And out of 100 people dedicated to evolving our society spiritually, to my amazement, only one would push the button. So I said to the uh, 99 who would not push the button, why would you not push the button? And they said, well, that we don't want our taxes to go up. We don't want our government checks to stop. And we don't want uh, our IRAs and 401ks to go down because that money, again, will go to London or Zurich. And what I discovered that day, the problem was not that they would not push the red button. The problem was that they would not talk about, well, how how do we turn the red button green? How do we make money pushing the red button? Because then we can push the red button. So this gets back to the problem that our economy is dependent on. A war economy i know what's happened to a certain extent to donald trump he got in there ready to change things and what he discovered is in america america doesn't want to push the red button because they oh. want their check
1: yeah, and
2: so when you told us if making story... america great again well. go ahead
1: yeah, when you told us the story about um, the credit unions and the farmer's markets, I could see lots of people going, oh, yeah, that's great. I'll go do that. And then I could see them still using their Citibank credit cards. Or You know what I mean? They'd be like, okay, let me go, let me go to the people's credit union. But they'd still well, but have this element of
2: because great. they can't because they want to get their Social Security check. Well, but the, it's not so simple. So I live in a neighborhood where I don't, you know, it's an hour. It's either a 20-minute or hour drive to get to someplace. So I buy, you know, increasingly over the years, I buy a lot more online because I just, I can't buy it locally. Right. You know, so it's a chicken and egg. So so don't try and be perfect. Try and be sensible about what you're trying to do is flow your resources into the people who will will, you know, be good to you and take care of you. So one of the reasons I bank at a local community bank is I'm much safer. I'm much safer from fraud. I'm much safer from a hiccup in the derivative system. Um, and I'm, I'm banking with people who are competent and honest and, you know, wouldn't defraud me. So, uh, you know, so, so you want to do this in a way which is energizing for you. Mm-hmm. Now, if you if you have a credit card in one of the banks that was you know responsible for the bailouts and is clearly involved in major corruption, then you just you need to get that out of your wallet because spiritually and energetically, that's affecting you. If you flow resources and money into something which is energetically, you know bad for you, that energy is coming in. So I just think as a spiritual question. You know, if you, uh, our Soleri coin on the on the one side says, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And to the extent you can, finance unto others as you would have them finance unto you. Because the the reason Congress can't solve health care and many other problems is everyone in America is making money off of doing something which is harmful to people. Yeah. This, yeah. this, You know, I mean, let's talk about, I always say that, you know, the reason we are on the land we are is because when our ancestors came here, we we murdered the 60 million people who were here and Mm -hmm. stole their land. Mm -hmm. You know, and if you look at what we're doing with our plan to regime change seven countries in five years, which has now turned into 16 years and counting, you know, we're talking about genociding millions of people globally. So. The American people have been living off of the genocide of people in the emerging markets and the developing markets for generations.
1: What do you say to the people who sense this very deeply? There are people who sense this very deeply and they have basically jumped off of the system of, you know, they, they've they checked out, kind of, they don't, um, they're off the grid kind of thing. But they don't know how to get back into the, like they don't they don't want to be off, but they want to be off because they know what you just talked about the United States dollar is behind a lot of really
2: evil things right but so what they what they want to do is they want to build what you want to do is you want to build wealth on an independent basis
1: mm-hmm.
2: so. You know, what you wanted, it's very practical. You go through the day and you go through the year and you want to focus on doing those things that help people, that create value for individuals and do it in a way which makes money for you and builds wealth for you. So there are plenty of things that we can do and there are plenty of companies in an open market that make products and services that really help people. You know, if I walk into my bathroom and get a Band-Aid and put a Band-Aid on a cut, that Band-Aid's really useful. There are millions and millions of functions in in the economy that are useful. So I think it's really important for each one of us to learn and develop skills which are exceptionally useful and build wealth that way. And and it's just a matter of engaging throughout your life, whether it's as an employer or as Clients and customers. If you're an entrepreneur, or the businesses where you shop, every time you you go throughout your life and every aspect of your life, as much as possible, you want to engage with other people who are ethical and competent, and flow your energy to them, and let them flow their energy back to you. You know, it's very interesting. To a certain extent, I have a very lovely life now because I travel around the world, and where I go, we try and have lunches, and I have lunch and meet with my subscribers who are wonderful <laughs> <laughs> you know so i'm um, going from town to town meeting all these fabulous people we had it's funny we had two lunches last year and the year before in new york city and mm-hmm. we had richard Dolan come to speak and we had these fabulous lunches at one of my favorite restaurants in new york it's quite hoity-toity and we had these fabulous lunches and long conversations about what in the world was going on and it was wonderful and you know so so, there's an advantage if you can organize your life about serving, and and working with and knowing wonderful people.
0: Well, we definitely you know, have to go better, to a so. a, a two-hour show because we're out of time again already. So, oh, wow. Catherine, thanks <laughs> okay. for being here. <laughs> and uh, uh, yeah, I could just listen to you forever. So this has I been could so great. Thank you,
1: Catherine. Thank you so much. You're great. Thank you. You guys have a wonderful day. You too. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Welcome now. with Rachel McIntosh and Robert Sell.